It's the beginning of the new year. Places to go, people to meet, books to read. And what better way to start the year than to read a book titled Sunrises, Reflections on the New Year Ahead. Oh wait, uh, I have gotten the wrong book. Uh, the book we are reviewing today is actually titled Sunsets, Reflections on Life's Final Journey. Wait a minute. This is about death? Who thought it was a good idea to start the year by reading a book about death? Well, someone at Faith Life. Hi, my name is Terence and I'm your host for Reading and Readers, a podcast where I review Christian books for you. Today, I review Sunsets, Reflections on Life's Final Journey by Deborah Howard. 336 pages published on August 2017 by Export Press. The book is available in Amazon Kindle for $8.95, but it is available for free from Faith Life for January and January only. The author, Deborah Howard, is a certified hospice and palliative nurse. What is hospice and palliative, you ask? Well, if you have cancer and the doctor says there is no more treatment, that there is no more cure, then hospice becomes an option. As Howard explains in her book, hospices do not speed up or slow down death. They do all they can to provide a better quality of life for the remainder of the patient's life and for the family. The foreword to this book was written by the esteemed theologian D.A. Carson. Let me read it. Deborah Howard has managed to link narrative and exposition. Most of the narrative books in this area tell a story or tell a lot of stories and nothing more. Many other books provide doctrinal structures, but they are rather abstract. This book combines narrative and doctrinal exposition. Of course, that makes the book a little long. For many readers, however, the combination also makes the book more memorable. And apart from all the little stories, the ongoing narrative of Bachman is not one you are likely to forget. End quote. The ongoing narrative of Bachman is an important part of the book, and I'll come back to that. I just want to repeat, in case you missed it, what Carson sees as a unique feature. This book combines narrative and doctrinal exposition. And I think the author took a big risk putting this book together in this way because I can see readers who come for the stories and insights of a hospiceness, and then they find the biblical exposition distracting, disruptive to the flow of the book. I know I did at one point, and let me explain to you why. You see, the first three chapters are titled Denial, Why Me? and Options. Options here referring to hospice care. Now, these three chapters gives you what you expect and what you should expect from a hospice-nurse come writer. Then we move past chapters uh, 1, 2, 3, and then we get to chapters 4, 5, 6. And these are chapters which sit more comfortably in a systematic theology textbook. The titles are The Sovereignty of God, The Sovereignty of God in Salvation, and the purposes of suffering. 
And uh, after we read past 4, 5, 6, we return to our regular programming because chapter 7 is titled Preparing for Approaching Death. Chapters 8, 9, and 10 deal with questions on angels and things that go bump in the night, death itself, and heaven and hell, all very pertinent to the dying and those who care for the dying. Lastly, chapter 11 is titled Comfort. Comfort to the dying, to the caring, and to the mourning. She shows how all comfort ultimately comes from God. Now that I've given you a brief overview of the whole book, I want to show you what a typical chapter looks like. Every chapter begins with a snippet of the Bachman story. Howard uses that story as a springboard, a hook to get into that chapter's topic, whether it's on denial or heaven and hell. Every chapter will then include a case study from her experience carrying and journeying with the dying. Now, this is a Bachman story, okay? Um, here is how we get introduced to the main character. If you flip the page, the first sentence, the first chapter, first paragraph that you read, you read this, I quote. Big Buckman McNair III sat in the doctor's office with his slender wife seated apprehensively on the edge of a chair beside him. He had always been a big guy, a talented football star in high school and college. But football wasn't his only claim to fame. He was a big man in the business world as well and had provided a safe and comfortable life for his family. Then, uh, end quote. Then I skip ahead because at this point, then the doctor tells him the bad news. I quote, You're crazy, Buckman raved. Cancer? Why, I don't believe that for a second. I'm healthy as a horse. If it weren't for this back pain, I'd be as fit as I was in high school. I've lost down to my college weight already. I just overdid the exercise and pulled my back. That's all. End quote. We follow Buckman through his life's final journey in this book. His wife Penny is a loving partner throughout the trial and we see how it was a trial to her as well. And we later in the book also get introduced to Paula Shaw, the hospiceness with the bright smile and the twinkle in her eyes. Howard writes, Buckman is a fictional character, but one I created as a composite of several patients I've known. The experiences he faces in this book reflect actual situations in the lives of those who have shared their stories, their lives, and their deaths with me. End quote. Now, if there was no Bachman in this book, I can say that it can be difficult to see how the chapters come together as a sequence. Um, but because we were there when Bachman receives the bad news from the doctor, and we were there when he uh, eventually, uh, spoiler alert, uh, Buckman does die. Uh, and then we also see his uh, loved ones process his death. Now, each of those chapters is a step in Buckman's move, uh, journey towards death. And as we read, we experience Buckman's doubts, pain, embarrassment, and also his friendship, the joy and the hope, okay, the faith that he that sustains him. And, on, and this 
these topics, uh, these points in Buckman's journey, Howard picks up and uh, elaborates in detail as a person who is not just talking about the story or talking about the doctrinal uh, exposition, but as a person who has actually integrated the two of them, integrated your, the, the life story together with the biblical uh, um, text, okay, the, what, the, what God says. So this is a very engaging book because of the Buckman uh, overarching narrative. And then once you get that, that Buckman story, okay, in every chapter it begins with, with his story, then we get into what I call, what I term as the Christian's practical guide to dying. And she is the only one who can do it in this way. You see, any pastor, theologian, can tell you about the spiritual side of things, doctrines of heaven and hell, angels and demons. They can tell you that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Any doctor can tell you what happens in the body as it gives up life. The physical aspects of death, the, about the heart, the lungs, the brain, they can tell you that hearing will be the last sense to go. And anyone who has experienced the death of a loved one can tell you the the trauma, the pain, the toil, the trial of the, the journey and the days of waiting, the bedside, the, the grief, and so on. Okay, So uh, all those are things that other people can tell you. But as I read this book, I'm struck by how only a hospice nurse uh, comes to her patient and begins her assignment by listening to her patient's breathing so that she can listen for the change in rhythm that tells her that the end is near and that it's time to call in the family to say, say their farewells. Most nurses, other nurses, not hospice nurses, come to the patient expecting or hoping that their patients get well. Hospice nurses don't, you see. So she comes along with the experience, the long days, weeks, months, uh, bedside, um, and she comes at it okay, in this this uh, situation, okay, by the, the deathbed, she comes to this as a Christian. And in this book, we read how she, she integrates her theology in the days between life and death. For example, in the first chapter on denial, <coughs> she doesn't just address five stages of grief. Because even unbelievers, okay, everybody um, knows and, and works through the five stages of grief. Now, what Howard here does is that she tells us where God is in the grief. I quote, I've seen over the years that the more we understand the way God works in our lives and the stronger our faith in Christ, the better we are able to find the sweet acceptance that proves so elusive for others without that personal relationship with Him. I'm not saying there is no pain. It always hurts to lose someone you love. I'm saying there is never a reason for despair, bewilderment, or feelings of abandonment when we experience His loving kindness and understand the truths of His Word." End quote. So you can see that um, in this book, in this chapter, when she talks about denial, it's not just denial of the inevitable death, about the doctor's office, about the dreaded death sentence. 
It's not just denial of that. She has another denial in this chapter that she wants to address, that she picks up on and shows us. She writes, I quote, When we say we don't need a saviour to go to heaven, we are in denial, denying the very word of God, end quote. Some reviewers have commented that this book is too pushy in the Christian bits. In the chapter on the sovereignty of God, she presents the sovereignty of God over the earth, over the weather, over Satan and his demons, over governments, over mankind, and over life and death. And subsequently, she dedicates an entire chapter just on the sovereignty of God in salvation. Now, when I read these uh, Bible-saturated, doctrinally rich chapters, chapters which on a normal day I would love and adore, I must confess that uh, my initial thought was, what's a hospice nurse doing writing on a subject better left to pastors and theologians? She was taking the Bible passages and expounding on them. So I was thinking that, I mean, I, I would like to know more about the hospice-ness side of things rather than, you know, I, I like the Bible part, but, but can't you just, like, leave that out? <laughs> I mean, the chapters are well-written and they are well-organized, okay? So they're not badly written or anything like that. She cites sermons, books, and expounds on many dear and familiar Bible passages, uh, to tell me things that, honestly, I already know, and I have, honestly, read from better hands, better minds. I mean, it's like uh, somebody's uh, study notes put together very well, okay? I don't want to give the impression that it's a, a bad read. It's not. So as I read, I, I thought that, well, uh, if she removed these chapters, it actually won't uh, interrupt the flow of the book. It flows better, actually. Uh, so maybe she uh, bit off more than she should. But I was wrong. After some further thought, uh, reflecting on this book for this review, I, I, I concluded I was wrong to think that way for two reasons. Okay, for two reasons. One, I am being a snob. <laughs> While there are better books on these themes, as she herself said, okay, in the book she herself said that she is a student of the scriptures, not a Bible scholar. Right? So she, she knows. But but then when you read it, I mean, here is an everyday Christian who has put together these beautiful truths from the Bible, um, can I say a lifetime worth of meditation and reflection and thought, and, and she integrated them into her working life. Wow! I mean, <laughs> this is the desire of every pastor for every teaching ministry. Oh, if we had every student of the Bible who could put together those chapters together and show how she lives them and, and shares them with the people around her. And, and honestly, I don't want to be a snob. I, don't, I want to be a Christian who can hear the same old truths instead of always getting excited or searching for new insights or twists to familiar passages. So I repent. I say that, all right, uh, I will appreciate these two, three chapters. Okay. Now to the second reason I was wrong to dismiss these doctrinal chapters in this book. Um, and this is probably the more important, the most important reason why I was wrong. And, and this is it. We we, when we read this uh, sovereignty of God, sovereignty of God in uh, salvation, the purposes of suffering, and with all the, the Bible expositions and uh, sermon citations and so on, we must remember 
Buckman. You see, Deborah Howard has written these chapters, and, and it's actually not just those three sovereignty chapters. Or, it's actually all the chapters in this book have a very strong biblical flavor to them. Okay? It's, uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for the gospel has the power to save, sort of flavor. Okay? And, and she has written these chapters because these are important. These are literally, literally the last words she wants the dying to hear. There is no hope but Jesus. Call to Jesus. Cry to Jesus. Fly to Jesus. You can hear the urgency of a Christian in this book who has experienced the goodness of God and who has seen many people journey to death and who and wants you, reader, reader, she wants you, before you die, before the person you love dies, she wants you to know Jesus. So it comes out very strongly, passionately. And I really appreciate that. Okay. Then in my defense, if I am was if I was impatient with her biblical exposition of these great truths, it is because she did such a good job in the story of Bachman. <laughs> she did such a good job in the, in the case studies and the practical insights that no pastor, no theologian can offer so clearly as the humble hospice nurse here. Uh, you see, pastors accompany and care for many in life's final journey. Many pastors go to the hospital, many pastors hold the hands of those who are going to breathe their last breath. Okay? And, but I have come to realize after reading this book that they, pastors do that not in the way that hospice nurses do. And that point was made very clear to me when in this book there was one point where the hospice nurse manually removes an impacted stool because the guy didn't have bowel movement for five days or so. And uh, there was a danger that if she did not remove it manually, that uh, the person could actually die. Now, pastors are not in the room for the removal of stool. It's not something theologians would think or write about. You will never see it shown on TV or movies. It's too embarrassing. It's impolite. And you would never think about bowel movement of the dying uh, in ordinary life. But here it is in this book. And it's not written as it would be in a medical textbook. Cold, detached, matter of fact. These are just the things that happen when people die. Howard draws us in into these uh, life situations by describing conversations with the anxious loved ones. She, she shows us the reactions of the patient. I mean, I mean, the fear, the dignity, the embarrassment. And she also shows how a hospice nurse works to preserve dignity when death tries to take even that away. And she, she offers tips on how you can do that. Okay, let me read a tip she offers in this book. I quote, Don't be surprised if your loved one begins to have quote-unquote accidents. 
Try to take it in stride and do what you can to preserve the patient's dignity as you assist in cleaning her up. Make sure her private parts are covered whenever possible, asking other people to leave the room while you're working with her and never, never shaming her. Try not to make faces showing revulsion. If the smell bothers you, here's a trick I use. Open an alcohol swab and wipe it under your nose. All you'll be able to smell for a few minutes will be the alcohol. Many times the patient is already unresponsive at this time or incapable of understanding what she has done. But if she is aware that she has made a mess, it will cause her pain and grief and be a tremendous blow to her already suffering ego. End quote. So um, again, I hope you can see the helpfulness of the intention that she's conveying over here. Another tip, okay, just one more last tip uh, that I picked up, which I was surprised uh, to read, was don't insist that the patient eat, okay? Don't force the patient, you must eat, come on, uh, father, grandfather, grandmother, uh, eat, okay? Uh, Howard recounts a case where she gives this advice and the daughter of the patient got furious and, and, and asked, you mean you want us to sit by and watch my father starve to death? And the answer was yes. Now, did you guys know that as the body nears death, the digestion system shuts down? And in those cases, if the patient eats, he could experience bloating, cramping, vomiting, indigestion, excessive gas production, diarrhea or constipation. I'm, I'm reading this list from the book. And it is for these reasons that the nurse here says it could be, a, I quote, it could be a cruelty to force food into a gut that has stopped working properly, end quote. So, again, these are Insights that I never thought about, that I wouldn't go online and Google search for, for these things unless I, I was facing these things. So the, the thing about reading a book like this is that you are kind of mentally prepared, sort of, where, uh, for the eventuali eventuality that, that will happen, all right? Because all of us will die. All of us, we have loved ones who will die. So some will go immediately. Some will go in a more drawn-out case, like what this book is covering. Um, so these uh, tips or, or thoughts are actually quite useful. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand. The book is more, far more than tips and tricks on caring for the dying. And it's actually not all about drawn-out deaths. I mean, a lot of the things that she says over here is also good for the guy who, who dies from a car accident. Okay, So, but... But by giving you these examples, okay, the things that I just said, I, I just want to show you that Howard deals with things as it is. Okay, this is real. She is not uh, sugarcoating it, okay? And it's not just real physically and emotionally. She gives it to you spiritually. When I talk with people about angels and demons, it's a topic of a conversation. Okay, so if I ask, uh, do angels exist? We, we discuss, debate, take a position, study the Bible, preach, and so on. But in this book, when she asks, do angels exist? It's because 
Now, let me read to you uh, this, this portion of, um, from the story of Bachman and uh, give you a bit of the setting. The, the family are in the den. They're just talking with one another and Bachman is just sitting there uh, with the family. When? When? Uh, I quote, okay? I'm just reading from the parts of the book here. Looking away from her, which is the daughter, Bachman said weakly, uh, What do you want? What, daddy? The daughter replied, then Bachman said, uh, Okay, but what did Mama say? Is she going to? With white eyes, Laura looked back over her shoulder at Sarah and John, who were sitting in stunned silence watching Bachman. Laura shrugged and softly spoke to Bachman again. Daddy, what are you talking about? I wasn't talking to you, he said curtly. Then who were you talking to? To him, he nodded his head toward the space between the fireplace and the leather chair, pointing one thin finger. They all looked but saw nothing. You were talking to whom, Daddy? John? Laura strained her ears to hear his muffled reply. To the angel, he managed to explain. End quote. So Howard... Again, this is just me giving an example of how she links, okay? So, that, that, this um, chapter, in this chapter, Howard then tells of a real incident, okay? A real incident where a woman saw an angel every day for several days before she died. She writes, uh, I quote, This is not an isolated incident. It happens fairly frequently. I'm not saying absolutely that an angel is there. I'm just saying that's what people sometimes report. What do the scriptures teach about this? End quote. And, and then she goes into it. So again, it's very different. I hope you can see. I mean, if I'm talking about angels and demons, I open passages and we're just doing an exposition of the Bible. Here she's talking about things which if you saw an angel or if your loved ones was dying and was talking to an angel, what are you supposed to think? And she and I like how she addresses that question because she, she integrates her theology with real life. In answering these questions, uh, angels and demons, heaven and hell, she does not speculate. She does scripture. After completing this book, I was struck that we should all read a book before we go on any trip. You have travel books, travel blogs, travel vlogs, okay, video logs, describing every possible holiday destination. I mean, go on YouTube. I mean, everybody is a, a travel guide for wherever it is. And they tell you what you can see, what you can hear, what you can experience. And the travel guide is full of descriptions, warnings, and tips and tricks. But there is that one place everybody will go a place where everybody should be ready for. The question is, have you read a travel book for your final journey? I don't have any personal recommendations on other uh, books on death, uh, other than the Bible, <laughs> uh, but Howard does. She regularly quotes from these two books, uh, One Minute After You Die by Erwin Lutzer, and another favorite of hers is Trusting God Even When Life Hurts by Jerry Bridges. Now, from this Jerry Bridges book, she, she quotes, uh, We must embrace three truths if we are really to trust God. God is completely sovereign. God is infinite in wisdom. 
and God is perfect in love. End quote. Now, when I read this, hey, I've read this before. I mean, I heard this before. I, I, this is a sovereign wisdom and love thing. Um, and then I recall a, a podcast episode of a father breaking the news that he has late-stage cancer, um, and he was telling this to his children. I, I went to look for the episode, and I found it. It's uh, from Truth in Love, a podcast from the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. In episode 37, talking to your kids about your cancer, Tim Keeter tells the story. Okay, Let me just uh, read from the transcript. Tim asks uh, the children, we talk a lot about God is perfect in His love for us, right? So what does that mean? That means He always wants what is best for us, Dad. And uh, not just that, but not only does He want what is best for us, but He is perfect in His infinite wisdom. So boys, what does that mean? Well, Dad, it means that not only that He wants what is best for us, but He knows what is best for us. That's great. That's exactly right. I got one more. We also talk about God is completely sovereign. So what does that mean? Well, that, it means that not only does God always want what is best for us, not only does He always know what is best for us, He will always bring it about. When? When? Always. No matter how severe the situation? Yes, Dad, always. Good, because I'm going to give you a chance to practice, practice that right now. End quote. So, I mean, he tells a story, uh, obviously, much, much better than I could. I hope you you could listen to that full episode in the podcast Truth in Love. It's episode 37. And there are many good episodes in that podcast from the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. And, and that story really struck me because I again saw theology integrated into life. Theology, God is sovereign, God is wise, God is uh, love, and, and how this is a great comfort. So, and, and how did discomfort came about? Well, this Jerry Bridges book helped Tim Keeter and helped Deborah Howard and helped many others, thus showing how books can offer help and comfort to the readers, which is the basis of this podcast. This Readers and Readers podcast is, is founded on the idea that books can help people. In her concluding chapter titled Comfort, Howard shares that when she wrote this book, she wrote it to comfort people. She wanted, she wanted to comfort people. But then, as she wrote this book, she realized even more deeply that the only source of comfort is not her. The only source of comfort is God. And she tells that comfort, tells of that comfort so wonderfully in this entire book. Deborah Howard's book has helped me to reflect on my own lives, okay, my own final journey, and also those of my loved ones. And what a great way to start the year. Geniuses at Faith Life for giving away this book for free in, uh, in January. The whole year is ahead of you. Before you waste your time uh, filling up your to-do list with different projects and whatever it is for, for the entire year ahead, maybe, not maybe, 
I'm telling you, <laughs> I'm asking you, will what you do, will what you plan, prepare you for the journey you and your loved ones will take? Will everything that you put on your schedule, your planner, will it prepare you for life's final journey? And if not, maybe, just maybe, this book will help you prepare for that journey. This is a Reading and Readers review of Sunsets, Reflections on Life's Final Journey by Deborah Howard, forward by D.A. Carson. Available in Amazon Kindle for $8.95, but free from Faith Life for January. After reading this book, I have gained a newfound appreciation for the work of hospices and palliative care, so much so that I'm going to make a contribution to the local palliative care centre. I ask that you join me to support hospices. And if you're not sure why you should, just read the book or visit a hospice. Thank you for listening.